But, but Brian is out, out, out sick today, and um, if you and I have not met before, my name is Adam Ratcliffe, one of the pastors on staff here. So here, here's a question for you. What do you do uh, when the preacher who was scheduled to preach gets sick the day before, and you only have a few hours to get a sermon ready? One thing you can do is you can grab an old sermon off the shelf, and you can blow the dust off of it. Um, And you can pray like crazy for God to breathe new life into it. And that's what I have done this morning. And that's what I am praying that God will do among us this morning. You know, the command to um, be ready in season and out of season has a whole new layer of meaning for me this morning. But um, all that to say, I, I know that it's not about me. It's not about the messenger, but it's it's about the message. God himself has spoken to us through his word. And so you and I have gathered together this morning to sit under the preaching of God's word. It is powerful for us. And so I'm encouraged to be able to have the opportunity to preach this morning. Um, If you have a Bible uh, in print or on a device, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, We're going to pick it up there in verse 12. It's not the passage in your bulletin, so if you don't have access to a Bible... um, That's okay. I'm going to read the passage in just a couple of minutes. If you were here last week, uh, we started a new series um, as we move toward Easter and Resurrection Sunday. And as you already know, uh, you can't have Easter without Good Friday. And you can't have uh, Jesus' resurrection from the dead without first his death on the cross in our place. So really all I want to do this morning is I just want to carry on that theme by stopping yet again for us to consider the cross and to consider what Christ has accomplished there for us, that he came to overthrow the curse that's brought on by sin. He came to save sinners because here's the thing, you and I have sinned in Adam at the fall from Genesis chapter 3, which is the passage that Brian was going to preach on this morning. So we're not that far off topic this morning. So let me read our passage and then I'll pray for us. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. This is God's word. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray now that your word would accomplish its purpose. God, by your spirit, would you work among us? God, would you cause us to be amazed yet again at the grace that has been shown us in Christ Jesus? Father, for those um, here this morning who don't yet know him, 
Lord, would you make him beautiful and compelling? And would they turn in faith to him? We pray this in his beautiful name. Amen. Now, for most of us here this morning, I know this isn't true for everybody, but many of us have been part of a church for the better part of our lives, which means that we have heard the Bible preached and we have heard the gospel explained and exalted in hundreds of times. And so we are familiar with statements like the one that we find here in our passage from Paul when he says in verse 15 there that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here's the danger that I want all of us to see and to be aware of, myself included. That what happens with such familiar truths like this is that because we have heard them so often, that they can begin to lose their punch and that they can begin to fall on deaf ears, that we can become numb to the greatest news in all the world. And I know, just speaking personally, that I I can be guilty of that. And if you're honest here this morning, I know that's true of you as well. And and maybe, maybe we're tempted at times to say, you know, I know that already, preacher. Like, I've heard all of this before. Like, how about you move on to something a little bit more relevant to me? Like, I got this. I understand the gospel. What ends up happening is that over time, we begin to lose the wonder and the beauty and the off the charts in nature of what God in Christ Jesus has done for us. And slowly but certainly, if we are not careful, it'll stop having any practical effect on our lives. Our hearts will become cold and hard and we will just wake up every single day oblivious to the miracle that it is that any of us are saved. Are you amazed, if you're a Christian this morning, that you have been saved? Or if I can be so blunt to put it this way, it'll just become boring and mundane and we'll just go through the motions. And some of us are are there right now. I've just described you. Let me give just a a real world example that we experience every single day. It even happened this morning. Think Think about this. Think about the sunrise. We've seen the sun rise hundreds of times, and for many of us, we no longer stop to consider the wonder of what is actually taking place. You know, the wonder that we are on a planet that is suspended in a universe that nobody has been able to find the end of. That we are spinning on an axis, we are held in orbit by a sun that is something like 109 times larger in diameter than our little planet. So big that 1.3 million Earths can fit inside of it. I can do wonders with Google, people. <laughs> but that, that, is, that is an amazing thing. You stop and you think about that. You consider where we are. Day after day, without fail, at just the right time, we spin into view of the sun's light and heat as it rises on the horizon, that it is so consistent that we can set our watches to it. It's an amazing thing. And yet, because we see it every day, we rarely, most of us, we rarely give a moment's thought to it. And so when we hear words like Jesus came into the world to save sinners, which is way more amazing than the sunrise, we often don't slow down long enough to consider what it actually means, how his coming and how his cross 
changes everything for you. That it changes everything. That if you're a Christian this morning, what I want you to know is that you are a miracle. That you are a walking miracle. And so, here's the thing. A few years, a few years back, I read a book about John Newton, uh, a guy that I'm sure that many of you are familiar, wa- familiar with. But Newton lived in England back in the 1700s, and he is most famous for his hymn, Amazing Grace, which is arguably uh, the most well-known hymn in the English language. But Newton was a pastor for over 40 years and is probably the greatest pastoral letter writer of all time. But Newton's also remembered for his role in the abolition of the British slave trade. He was the spiritual mentor to a much younger man by the name of William Wilberforce, who was a member of Parliament and who vehemently opposed the British slave trade. But by all accounts, Newton had led a remarkable life. God had used him in powerful ways in his generation. But before all that, for all that good news, before amazing grace, before becoming a pastor, before writing thousands of Christ-exalting hymns, it is not an understatement to say that John Newton was the vilest of sinners. Like, he was a bad man, a horrible man. He was so far from God that it seemed hopeless. Let me ask you a question. Do you have someone in your life that you can think about this morning where you're like, there's, there's no possible way that that person will ever become a Christian. There's no way that person's ever trusting in Christ. Well, that was John Newton. He was the least likely convert to Christianity. If you can think up a sin, he probably committed it, or at least he gave some serious thought to committing it. And then try, try to get your mind around this. That for, for a time, he was also the captain of a slave ship. He committed atrocious injustices to the slaves on that ship, but as God would have it, the former slave trader would play a crucial role in the liberation of the slaves. Isn't it amazing how God works? And it all began when John Newton was 22 years old, when he almost drowned at sea aboard a merchant ship that had got caught in a storm. And that near-death experience in his life was a watershed moment for him. It awakened him from his drunken stupor to his desperate need of Christ, knowing that if he had perished that night in that sea, then he would spend an eternity separated from Christ. Here's what I want us to say. That, he was, that man was not looking for God, was he? It was God who had found him. And as I was reading that book, one massive thing that stood out to me were Newton's last recorded words. Here's the story. A pastor who was much younger than Newton was, whom, knew, whom Newton had mentored in the faith, he went to visit him on his deathbed, and he had brought his journal along with him. At this point, Newton was well into his 80s. He was confined to a room. He was bedridden. He had lost much of his memory. His health was quickly deteriorating. He just had a few more weeks to live. This is what the young pastor wrote in his journal that day from the lips of the dying Newton. He wrote these words. He said, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner 
and that Christ is a great Savior. I remember two things. I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great Savior. Let those words wash over you for a minute. Here was a man who had walked with God for 50 years, but he had never forgotten what God had done for him, what God had actually saved him from. He never allowed the truth of the gospel to become mundane or ordinary. Though he had forgotten most everything else, he never forgot or failed to exalt in the most glorious gospel truth in all the world that he was a great sinner and that Christ Jesus is an even greater Savior. So friends, if you remember nothing else of what I say this morning, I pray that for the rest of your life that you will remember those two things. Because here's what I want us to see, and here's the connection to our passage. Newton did not come up with that line on his own, but it came from the Apostle Paul. There was another old pastor who was at the end of his life who said something similar to a younger pastor whom he had mentored in the faith. The Apostle Paul said to the young Ephesian church pastor Timothy in verse 15, this saying, Timothy, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So here's the context. Paul is writing these words towards the end of his life. He would soon be killed by the emperor Nero, And no doubt, Paul's looking back over his life, amazed at the grace of God that saves such a sinner like him, knowing that he's not going to be around much longer. And what's one of the things that he wants Timothy and us to know? He wants us to know that he is the greatest of sinners. He's the foremost, and that Christ is the greatest of saviors. Paul never got over the gospel. Never got over the gospel. He never got over the unbelievable truth that Jesus came into the world to save sinners like him. Neither did Newton, and I pray that the same will be true for us. There's so much that we could say about this text, so many things that we could unpack. But all I want to do is ask three questions of this passage. And the first is, what did it cost Jesus to come into the world? What did it cost him? Second thing, why did he come? And then third, how do we keep this good news from becoming ordinary? And mundane, which is something that we all will wrestle with. So first, what did it cost Jesus to come into the world? Obviously, there's, there's so much that we could say because the grace of God that was poured out for the salvation of sinners did not come cheap. But consider this with me for a minute. Paul says there in verse 15 that it was Jesus who came into the world. Now, for most of us who've been in the church for any length of time, like, we just fly right past that, right? We say the name Jesus all the time. We sing it, we pray it, we hear it preached all the time. So stop and think about this. The name Jesus literally means Yahweh, the Lord saves. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob Yahweh, the covenant God, saves, which means that God himself, not someone else, not some proxy, but Yahweh became a man. So stop and think about this. The infinite, eternal God, 
the one who created all things and who sustains all things, both visible and invisible, the second person of the Trinity who is loved by the Father, adorned with unspeakable beauty and glory, worshiped by angels for all eternity. This God willingly laid aside his rights as God. He entered into history by taking on human flesh that he befriended sinners He lived a life of perfect obedience to his father. He was accused of being a devil. He was betrayed by a close friend. He was mocked. He was scorned. He was condemned as a criminal. He was sentenced to death, beaten, spit upon, nailed to a sinner's cross, naked, bloody, and dehydrated, breathless, agonizing, absorbing the full wrath of God for the sins of his people. He bled and died for you and for me. And then... The everlasting God who dwells in unapproachable light was placed in a borrowed grave and engulfed in darkness for three days. But the story doesn't stop there. Because three days later, he was raised to life, triumphing over sin and death and the devil and securing salvation for his people. And he ascended into heaven and he now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he has been given the name above every other name. Friends, his name is Jesus Let us not forget that. Let us not lose the wonder that his name is Jesus, the Lord himself saves. There is no other way that you and I can be saved this morning. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, Paul says. Christ, Jesus came into the world and the cost was greater than you and I will ever be able to comprehend. And this is why John Newton and this is why the Apostle Paul right here and those of us who love him here this morning can say that he is a great savior. May we never lose the wonder of the incarnation of the Son of God living and dying in the place of sinners like us. That's the first thing. The second thing, why did Jesus come? And we've already touched on this, this, and this is incredible. If you take a step back, you you can't make this stuff up because it's that incredible. But Paul gives the answer here. He says that the reason that Jesus came and died is to save sinners like him. Unless that word be stripped of any real significance for us, that word sinner there, Paul says, if you want to know just how great a Savior Jesus is and how utterly desperate and undeserving you are, then let my life serve as an example for you. That if Jesus can reach down and save me, then he can save anyone including those of us sitting here this morning. Look again at what he says there in verse 13. He says, Formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, was an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord had overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I received mercy for this reason. Why did Paul receive mercy? Why did Jesus save him? For this reason, that in me as the foremost as the sinner who's leading the pack, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So what Paul is doing here is he is holding himself up as the poster child for the least likely convert to Christianity. Nobody would have ever thought that the Apostle Paul would ever come to trust in Christ Jesus. And if you've been in the church, you know his story, Right? It's really that bad. Acts 7, Paul's there at the stoning of Stephen, who's the first Christian martyr. 
And Luke, the writer of Acts, says that Paul approved of his execution. That that man, Stephen, deserves to die because he is saying that Jesus is God. He deserves death. Paul was there and gave his blessing on it. Later, in Acts 8, it says that there arose a great persecution against the church. And who was leading the charge of that persecution? It was none other than the Apostle Paul. It says that he was ravaging the church. And what's that look like? It says that Paul's entering house after house. And he's dragging off men and women. And he's putting them in prison. It was his life mission to destroy the church and to destroy Christians. So what I want us to see is that this man is not someone who is looking for Jesus. He's not exploring the claims of Christianity. This man is hating Jesus, and he is hating those who call upon Jesus. But so that we could see how great the grace of God in the gospel really is, the story doesn't end there. You remember, right? Paul on the Damascus Road. He's on his way to Syria, to Damascus, to persecute Christians. But the risen Jesus knocks him off his horse and he saves him. And Paul, for the rest of his life, he never got over it. Never got over that moment. Paul, the great persecutor of the church, became Paul, the great apostle to the church, all for the purpose of magnifying the greatness of the Savior and saving sinners. Is it not amazing how God works? So back to the question, why did Jesus come? Jesus came into the world to save rebels and blasphemers. He came to save those who hate Christ and who hate his church. He came to save slave ship captains like Newton and liars and cheaters and complainers and adulterers and prostitutes and racists. He came to save the greedy and the self-righteous and the self-absorbed and the self-important. In other words, he came to save people like you and me. The grace of God overflowed, Paul says, for undeserving wretches like us. Tim Keller, a name you guys are familiar with, who was a pastor for a long time in New York, is fond of saying, or at least I've heard him say this, is that the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. That's the bad news. But it also says that you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. That's the good news this morning. Do you believe it? Has that good news changed you? And is it now changing you? Because you and I may not have the same testimony as John Newton or the Apostle Paul, but we would make a big mistake to think that our situation was any less desperate or dire than theirs. We all deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. We all stand condemned before the bar of God's court. And so like them, we too should be able to say that I am a great sinner and our only hope in life and death is that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. Because the reality is we are more sinful than we ever dared believe. We are more loved than we ever dared hope. It is sheer grace that any of us are saved. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, if you need an example of that, then just look at my life. If he saved me, then he can save anyone. So let me ask the question to you this morning. Is that you? 
Is that you this morning? Are you far from God? Are you running in the opposite direction? Have you done things that you think that nobody could ever love you or forgive you? The good news, the gospel that is on offer to you this morning and for all of us is that you have not strayed so far that his arm is too short, that it cannot save you. If you're a great sinner, which is really all of us, he's an even greater savior, so come to Christ this morning. Which leads to the last thing I want to say, a point of application. How do we get this gospel truth to sink deep into our hearts so that it doesn't become boring and mundane? This is where we started, right? That we hear or see something so often that we begin to lose the wonder of it. And when we lose our wonder, it no longer has the power to change us. And the issue for every single one of us is that we suffer from gospel amnesia. That we're all prone to forgetfulness. We're all prone to stray. I've heard someone say before that a Christian is someone who needs to be saved every single day. And I think that's more or less true. That our, our salvation, yes, and amen, is secure in Christ. That he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But are we not quick to forget? Are we not quick to lose the wonder of the cross and of the grace that has overflowed for us? Are we not quick to forget that Jesus came into the world to save sinners? So what do we do about it? For starters, we do what we just did. We slow down and we take time to remember. We take time to consider what it actually cost Jesus. God himself to come and to save us. It's what Good Friday is all about. It's what Easter is all about. We take time to remember how sinful we really are and how undeserving we are of his grace and what sort of love that God has loved us with. We gather for worship every Sunday to sing and to hear God's word proclaimed and to pray and to fellowship with other believers and to gather around this table to remember what Christ has done for us. And maybe like Newton and like the Apostle Paul, when we come to the end of life, we can say with all of our hearts that yes, I am a great sinner and that Christ Jesus is a great Savior and be able to praise with Paul, when he said at the end of our passage, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together.